Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to do a bit of Christmas, getting ourselves ready for Christmas. We're going to read the story of uh, Elizabeth and particularly Zechariah, who are the kind of the other Christmas couple. You've got Mary and Joe, but you've got Zechariah and Elizabeth. And uh, I want to take a few minutes this afternoon. Not, I don't intend to be very long. Just to look at this bit of the Christmas story and Maybe God will speak to us through it as we, as we read this. Now, I want to do a fairly, I want to, do, I want to read about 20 verses. So let's read this together. Please open your Bible to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was already was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is uh, well on in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now... You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, 
which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. All right. Here are six little pieces of wisdom, revelation, Bible truth that I think we can learn. There are no doubt many more, but here are six very quick little thoughts that come from this story that I believe transcend Christmas and, and are, are things that we can apply very much to our lives today. But I'm against the clock, so they're coming thick and fast. Number one, number one, I want you to notice about Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were uh, upright, blameless people. And uh, we see that in verse 6. It says they had kept all the Lord's commandments. They were blameless And they were upright in the sight of God. But look at verse 7. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren. Now this is an amazing little thought that I believe is vital for all Christian people today. Part of being holy is dealing with disappointment. Part of being blameless is having things in our lives that we maybe don't like, but irrespective of the presence of obstacles and challenges, we continue to serve God. Can you say amen? What we find in the body of Christ today, and I'm sure it's been true for the whole 2,000 years, you find people who live right before God as long as everything is going right. As long as everything is going right, and God continues to be their servant, you know, do whatever they want, Make sure they have the best money, the best house, the best car, that everything is good, the very best health, whatever it may be. As long as God continues to be their servant, then they will continue to follow him. But do you notice this? This couple who were blameless in the sight of God observed all the Lord's commandments were barren. 
And we know that this affected them deeply because right at the end of the passage, verse 25, she says that she was in disgrace. I want to ask you this. In your life as a Christian, in your relationship with God, I want to ask you this, this afternoon. What does disappointment do to that relationship? What does it do? Does it dent it? Does it damage it? Does it break it? Because part of being holy, part of being holy, part of having faith, is things not going so good, but by hook or by crook, I'm going to serve the Lord. Can you say amen? That's what it's all about. And we find this. You find people who, something goes wrong for them, so they quit church. They quit following Jesus Christ because things haven't gone the way they thought. Listen, listen, let's just wise up a moment. How many of us in this room have our lives gone the way we thought? Anybody? Not me. And not you. One thing's for sure. Whatever you think the future's going to hold, you're probably wrong. Because we aren't very good at predicting how things are going to go. We, we face things we hadn't planned for. We certainly face things we hadn't prayed for. And things we hadn't desired to have. If we could, if we could write the story of our own lives, there are many chapters we would not put in. Is that right? Am I telling the truth? Come on, preach with me today. I'm telling the truth. And this couple had to handle a colossal disappointment. I'm not talking about the disappointment that the spa was closed and you thought it would be open. We're not talking about the disappointment that the coffee machine at Starbucks didn't work today. We're not talking about the disappointment that the service station on the A1 isn't really 24 hours, even though it claims to be. We're not talking about the disappointment that we didn't manage to catch Downton Abbey. We're talking about a life disappointment, the the inability to bear children. And we know this story is going to change. They are going to have a child, but that's not what they thought. God hadn't spoken at this stage in the history of the Bible for 400 years. So they weren't expecting the angel Gabriel to show up at all. I want to ask you this afternoon and those listening on the, on the internet, what does disappointment do to your relationship with God? What does frustration with people or frustration that you're not healed or frustration that the way you'd planned life or you, where you would like to have gone with life hasn't worked out that way. What does it do? Because here are a couple of heroes of the faith. Even though they faced heartache, they continue to be blameless before God. That suggests to me they didn't wave their fist at the Almighty like so many do. God, why have you done that? Why have you allowed this? That wasn't in their hearts. And that's why they were such special people. It's an inspiration to us. That we're not to become angry with God. We're not to become mad with God. We're not to have 
antagonism. Because prayer hasn't been heard yet or because this such and such a thing has happened. A blameless man and woman, a man who, a man or woman who obeys all the statutes of God, as we, as we're reading here. That is the kind of person who accepts, as Job once said to his wife, shall we accept only good from God and not harm? Is this the kind of faith I have? That unless everything goes well, I'm out of this. That's not how anything works in life. Only a teenage spirit thinks like that. It's not working, I'm out of here. But actually, the man and woman of God who's going to be blameless must learn through many tears to accept disappointments as well as blessing. Number two, we notice that their lives were open to what I've called here divine interference. I don't know whether you picked this up from the story, but Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go into the temple that day. And I'm not sure quite how they did this, but it's, a, it's effectively like pulling who's got the short straw. Yeah, that's not what they'd have done, but it's like the roll of a dice. It's amazing to think that, that God messed with what we'll call today the roll of the dice. God's big, isn't he? Able to do anything he wants. Now, by the way, I don't think that we should make decisions like this. So if, I don't think you should come and say, well, I'm thinking about marrying Bert. Let's pull a straw. I think maybe other things ought to uh, be form part of that decision-making process. Shall I change jobs? Or let me just roll a dice. No, the only thing you should change is your guidance technique when, when uh, doing that. But what we notice here is that God messed with their lives even though they were not aware of it. So there's two things I want to say about this. One is a blessing, the other a bit more of a challenge. But the first is, isn't it wonderful that God can do anything he wants? Isn't it wonderful that God can actually keep that red light red? When you're saying, Lord, I command this to go green in Jesus' name, God can make the red light stay red. God can lock a door as well as open a door. God can stop us doing things or allow us to do things and we are not aware of it. I love that. I love that. And I wonder if there is so much going on behind the scenes that we don't know anything about. The other day I went to the theatre in Milton Keynes and uh, I paid for a really top-notch ticket, you know. I was right down the front area. Not quite at the front, but, you know, pretty pretty far down. And I'm sitting there, but I started to get mad. I never told you this, Jane. But I started to get mad because the seat I was in, I could see backstage. Ooh, I hated that. And so I knew when a character was going to come on because I saw the actor sneak into the edge of the, you know, and I could see like a green light flashing all the way through. Obviously, the whole thing was run by some sort of a computer system and the lights and special effects and things like this. And I sat there and I, I was able to see everything going on in front of me. And I was able to see everything going on backstage as well. 
I thought, I don't like this. But of course, that's exactly what we want in our lives, isn't it? We want the ability to see what's happening in our, but we want the ability to see what is God doing on the other side of the curtain. But very often, that's not what we see. And God is, hasn't put us in a seat where we can see behind the curtain. And yet I believe he's always at work. And I think sometimes we should have a real depth of gratitude in our lives. Just to be thankful to God for the many, many millions of things. We haven't even been aware that he's done. But that he's always at work. Here he fiddled with the roll of a dice, figuratively speaking. But the other challenge that sort of comes to me is that God, while messing with their lives, while interfering, while being able to control what was going on in them, he was about to give them not money, not a car, not a holiday in the south of France, but a baby. Now, some of you who've had recently a baby will know that it's not exactly the same as a holiday in the south of France. Is it a blessing? Absolutely. Is it hard work? Absolutely. And God's ability to change their lives to bless them, was actually going to disrupt their family for really the rest of their days. And they were a couple of old birds, these, weren't they? And I want to ask us this question, which is the challenging part. As much as we can rejoice in God's ability to move in our lives, are we happy for God to move us somewhere where we don't want to go? We want, Lord, will you just have your way in my life? Uh, do we really mean that? Or are we really going back to what we said before? Lord, I'm happy for you to move in my life, but I just want you to do what I want. But actually, God, what God might do in my life and your life might be to bless us, but there might be a great cost. There might be a colossal cost to what God wants to do. I imagine having this baby as a couple of Old people, more elderly, senior people, was quite a challenge. Number three, number three. Another thing we learned from the story, and this is a real encouragement. God seems to have a giant hard drive. Of course, it's all inside his head. But all these prayers that have been prayed had been kept on file. Look at verse 13. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And Zechariah, verse 18, says, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is old as well. It's almost as though Zechariah had forgotten and was certainly not anticipating the answer to his prayer. When someone prays so fervently for something, we can, and, and I don't want to add to the Bible, but I don't think I'm saying anything wrong. The inference, to me at least, is that these were prayers that he had prayed maybe 30 years before. 
Maybe he had prayed them as a guy of 20. And maybe into his 30s and maybe even into his 40s. But the inference is that these people are now in their 70s. And I read one commentator this week said they're in their 80s. But let's even, let's just take it down to the the lowest we can. 25 years. I think it's safe to say that he had not prayed about this for 25 years. And yet, and yet, God hadn't forgotten. What did you pray 25 years ago? I mean it. What did you pray 25 years ago? And guess what? It's still on file somewhere, what you prayed 25 years ago. And of course, it's not really on file. It's inside the heart of God. I believe sometimes God, it's a bit like, you know, when you get a parent who pours a whole lot of money into an account. But the, but the kid can't touch it till they're 21 or something like that. And I believe sometimes God calls us to have incredible intercessions and we pour these prayers into something that we can't touch until the appointed time. And God is hearing our prayer and God is not saying no. But the answer is not, not yet. But delay doesn't mean denial. Isn't it extraordinary? I want to ask you this. What were you praying 20 years ago? What were you praying 10 years ago that you've forgotten about, but God has not forgotten about? God does not wipe the tapes. God does not throw out old prayers because they're now out of date or printed on Amstrad paper. God remembers everything. The prayers you prayed in the Betamax days are still as fresh with God in these apple days. God kept their requests on file, waiting for the appointed time. Look what the angel says in verse 20. These words will come true at their proper time. And that's the fourth point too, that delay in answer should not create doubt. And that was his problem, of course. He doubted what God was about to do and God thought, well, I better give him a little object lesson. He wasn't able to speak. And by the way, I think the reason he wasn't able to speak, but it's just a theory of mine, was to stop him saying any more doubtful things. Not to punish him, but to bless him. But that's just a theory. I don't really know why. But delay should not create doubt. There's one thing that's true in the Bible. That whenever people have to wait for something, listen really carefully, whenever people have to wait a long time for something to happen, it's always really good at the end. It happens all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to the maps, all the way through. If you wait a long time, if God causes you to wait for something, when it finally arrives, it's amazing. These old people here were waiting for a baby. When their baby came, it was John the Baptist. When Hannah had to wait for her baby, 
What, what came about? Samuel the prophet, whose words never fell to the ground. Joseph had to wait, tied up in a prison, but when he came out, he became the prime minister. Whenever God causes us to have to wait for something, it's always worth the wait. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The Bible says, cursed is he who obtains a harvest quickly. If we get things too quick in life, it's not good for us. And often we end up with an Ishmael, not an Isaac. God has not brought you into a marriage relationship yet. You've had to wait, wait, wait. Believe me, the longer you wait, the more God is working on your partner to come. It's exciting. Delay should not create doubt. And the angel closes this man's mouth. Can I, can I encourage you now? We're not spooky in this church. We're not spooky people. But I want to say this without taking this to any extreme and without it becoming a bondage. But please, just be careful what you say, all right? Just be careful what you say. Speak good things. Speak good things. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Number five, five of six, we're nearly there. Number five, destiny should not be distracted. Look at um, verse 24. It says, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Now, let me give you a little bit of, just a tiny bit of history here. It was actually common for Jewish ladies when they were pregnant, to, to um, disappear for a little bit. But certainly not for five months. So the fact that Luke is highlighting the date, the, the amount of time, you've read that a million times, but I want you to see it now in a new light. The fact that Luke writes here that it was five months, we're supposed to see something there. We're supposed to see that was an extraordinary long time. I think that when God places something on our lives, it sometimes causes us to be lonely as well as popular. I find that here, this lady is entering into some area of destiny. But in order for that destiny to come to pass, she wasn't allowed to be distracted from it. I remember when I first became a Christian, I lost nearly all my friends. Now, if I did my time again, I might find another way to do my early years. But what I found was that in order to be serious for Jesus, you do lose friends. In order to be serious for Jesus, you even have to lose some Christian friends who actually want you to just live a bit like them. But we're not called to live like Christians. We're called to live like Jesus. And so what I found is this, that actually when God places a real strong call upon someone's life, invariably, listen to me really carefully, that person will be a bit lonely. They won't have the iron sharpening them that they would like. And people who have a call of God on their lives begin to gravitate towards other people with a call of God on their life. But it can be a pretty lonely journey. Here Elizabeth receives this incredible call from God, 
But what she has to do is she has to go and be a bit lonely with it. If you are a lonely Christian, by that I mean you feel that other people haven't quite got it. Your, the people of your age or your gender or the people around you, they haven't quite got the same fire that you've got. Don't be discouraged by that. By all means, try and light them up. But don't be discouraged by that. It's quite normal, in fact. It was Joyce Meyer, the great lady barber teacher from America, who said, the birds flock together, but eagles fly alone. And sometimes, in order to serve God, we have to be a bit alone. It causes us to not quite have the companions that we would have perhaps have chosen in life. We'd have had a bigger group, but, but God sometimes separates us from the normal. It can be a bit lonely. You know what? You know what? A, you know what a fanatic is, don't you? A fanatic is always someone who loves Jesus a bit more than you. That's what a fanatic is. This person's a fanatic. I'm normal. They're backslidden. This person's a fanatic. It means they perhaps they're a bit more on fire than you. Don't call them a fanatic. Call them a hero. And follow after their example, in, in some cases anyway. Finally, we learn something about the, the nature of God. And again, it's in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she says. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let me finish with this thought. This is not so much something to be said of Elizabeth, of course, it's wonderful for her. But it says something about God. God removes disgrace. It's in his nature to remove disgrace. God doesn't want to embarrass people. God doesn't want to condemn people. God removes disgrace from people. And this is a colossal challenge, and this could be a whole hour teaching all by itself, but I'm just going to finish with it now. I want to ask you, if you are the kind of person who adds disgrace to people, or whether you are the kind of person that takes disgrace away from people. Because we know that God removed her disgrace, but what about us? I was in a church a little while ago and the worship leader hadn't lived up to the, to the standards required of that particular church and had had to leave. And so it was a very public figure in the church, you know, the worship leader is a pretty public person in the church, a face, if you like, of the church. And the pastor after a while, was put under pressure to stand up and explain what had gone on in that worship leader's life. Thank God the pastor refused to do that. Because the pastor understood that God is a God who removes disgrace. He doesn't add disgrace. To stand up and explain, well, such and such a person has done this and this and this, to kind of justify, make the church look a bit better maybe. 
But ultimately, it wouldn't have pleased God. Do you understand? It would have added disgrace to that person and was therefore would have been a disgraceful thing to do. One of the best things you can do as a Christian sometimes is to keep your mouth shut. God hasn't given us a mandate to go around and tell everyone what everyone else has done. Why would we want to do that? Make ourselves look better perhaps? Because we're gossip perhaps? I don't know. But I find this beautiful in the, in the character of God. He takes disgrace away. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, in John chapter 8, you know the story well, don't you, where Jesus says, you, you want to you wanna condemn her? He who is without sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus just says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. The churches and the body of Christ is supposed to be a, a force in the world of removing disgrace, not adding it. Can you say amen? So there might be things that we need to stop talking about. If you had a bad experience in a church sometime, it's not God's will for you to be talking about it. It's not God's will for you to be bringing back things from 20 years ago or even 20 minutes ago. Our God is a God who covers over a multitude of sins. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people want to underline a multitude of sins in red pen. But this isn't the the way of God. We should show grace. And as we do, we remove disgrace. I wonder if the worship team could come back and just help me as we close today. So these are the things I think we learn from this little old couple with their promise of a baby. Number one, we should remain faithful to God even though we often have disappointments in life. Number two, we should be open and excited about divine intervention, divine interruption in our lives. Number three, never forget that our prayers are kept on file on God's disk drive. Number four, don't let delay create doubt. Sometimes the longer we wait, the better things are going to be. Number five, when God places a real call on us, It might be that we have to avoid distractions and that might take us into a lonely place. And number six, we're serving a God who is a God who removes disgrace, not adds it. And therefore we should do the same in our lives. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.